Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and sports nutrition professor of almost 20 years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens. I run Strength Guild. I'm a competitive powerlifter and strength coach. Hey, this is Dr. Mike T. Nelson, a faculty member at the Kerrig Institute, creator of the Flex Diet Cert, and I just got done presenting here at the NSCA Personal Trainers Conference yesterday, so I'm still hanging out in Baltimore. Nice. And I'm Jeff DePotzi, an ex-Special Forces operator and the creator of the process. All righty. We will get um, to the origin story in just a moment. We have three little tidbits of news this week. Um, and obviously, as always, everyone is welcome to chime in. Strength and Muscle Sport News. This first one is a uh, study. Uh, comes out literally this month. This is spanking new mm. Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research from um, Douglas and colleagues uh, from, let's see, Sports Performance Research Institute in New Zealand, Auckland University of Technology. So it's an Aussie study here. Effects of accentuated eccentric loading on muscle properties, strength, power, and speed in resistance-trained rugby players. So I like to look at these rugby players. That's a resilient group of dudes here. Um, the purpose of this study was to determine the effects of slow and fast tempo resistance training that incorporated an exaggeration, if you will, accentuated eccentric loading, and they compared that with traditional resistance training. They took 14 guys. Um, they completed either the accentuated eccentric stuff, again, really focusing on the negatives, or traditional resistance training uh, over two four-week phases. One of the eccentric portions was slow or real slow on focus on the slow part and i don't have the uh, exact methodology if this was more than a four count you know um, lowering of the weight sort of thing or what but and then they had a faster eccentric tempo the results were such that slow uh, eccentric lifts elicited superior improvements in the back squat and the 40 meter sprint compared to traditional resistance training uh, so oftentimes we've had John Mike on, of course, in the past, and he would talk about how much this translates, you know, because one of the questions that comes up is if I do a lot of slow negatives, will that translate over to something explosive or not? And I think the short end is, yeah, it probably does pretty well. And this study would confirm that the short term incorporation of slow, uh, accentuated eccentric lifting was superior to traditional resistance training in improving the strength and the maximum velocity of sprinting speed uh, in these rugby players. So I love negatives. I like slow, you know, four-count negatives. I've always been more focused on the hypertrophy side of things, but it's really cool when you see it translate like this. Like, it, it was superior when it came to back squat and sprints. So pretty cool stuff out of Australia. Yeah, well, it's super interesting. And, you know, Cal Dietz has a triphasic method, too, where he'll take a block and do, you know, slower uh, eccentric um, 
movements and he's seen uh, these lifting speed after they complete that they'll do an isometric phase and a concentric phase he's seen uh, lifting performance go up and then also for athletic performance just the speed of being able to execute the lifts faster has gone up too right yep yeah to me it's it's always tough like what the control what the comparison is because if you're not careful yeah. you could just have an exaggerated stimulus with the eccentrics, like if the time under tension is just much greater because you're doing real slow negatives, you know, you're you're literally do, spending more time under tension kind of thing. And do you control for that or do you just allow that to be what the comparison is? You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. yeah you kind of have to, by picking one variable, you can't really pick the other one. <laughs> right, yeah. Science is reductionist. Yep. Um, I have two more, and I'm just going to fire – through this quickly so we can get to our origin story here this morning. Um, this next one is from the Institute of Food Technologists. It's This is weird, uh, and it caught my eye from IFT Next. They have a great newsletter. I love these guys. Mike, you and I had a good time in Vegas there last year yeah. at their conference. Um, researchers create an edible insect source of vitamin D. So they start by saying there's mm. increased consumer acceptance of insect protein. Uh, researchers at... Oh, boy. <laughs> Wageningen University and research have come up with a way to make uh, this insect protein even more nutritious. This is clever. They're exposing mealworms to ultraviolet light, to ultraviolet yeah. B, UVB radiation, and it increased their vitamin D concentrations 60 times above unexposed specimens. So apparently this... this um. This came out in the Journal of Scientific Reports. It says the synthesis of vitamin D in insects had not been previously investigated. And a lot of us are familiar, of course. We know that this happens in vertebrates and, well, people, obviously. But they looked at, let's see, four insect species, locusts, uh, house crickets, black soldier fly larvae, and yellow mealworms. And they exposed them to different amounts of UVB radiation. Then they, they tested their vitamin D concentrations. All of the insect species, with the exception of the black soldier fly, had strongly increased vitamin D levels, particularly the mealworms. And I think that's probably what caught their eye, right? Because that's, that's one of the big crickets and mealworms are some of the biggest uh, focus when it comes to insect protein. And if insect protein grosses you out, listeners... Um, gosh, who was the girl, Mike, at ISSN years ago? She, that, that was her oh, whole thing. Yeah. She was like called Bug Girl or something. The Bug like Lady. That. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's where we were eating bugs with Lou Schuler. Right, that's right. Uh, but, you know, super sustainable, um, apparently complete protein, and I wouldn't doubt that, right? It's still sort of animal versus uh, plant kind of complete thing going on. But, yeah, now they're actually <laughs> sort of putting them in a – Insect tan bed, if you will, and getting their vitamin D concentrations cranked up. So that's interesting, right? Because vitamin D, it's not highly pervasive in the diet. I mean, even milk, you know, is fortified with vitamin D, right? It's vitamin A and D fortified milk. Uh, so not a lot of sources of vitamin D. So um, I don't know, keep your eyes open for that kind of stuff. To me, it would be most interesting if they ground them up. into a fine powder and then put them in a protein bar. I'd be much more willing to do that than, you know, like spitting, you know, know, antennas (laughs) off my lips or something. So, um, weird. I've had the mealworms before. They're not too bad, actually, surprisingly. Sort of what, like Uh, dried and salted or something? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were cooked, but yeah, they weren't too bad. Yeah. And I also wondered about how, like, kind of 
northern climates, like historically, got a lot of vitamin D. Um, did they just, you know, get a crap ton in the summer and they kind of carried through the winter? And there's some interesting data that they actually took uh, mushrooms and they would dry them out in the sun during the summer. And when you UV irradiate a mushroom, it's a really good source of uh, D2. Yep. Converts yep. into the precursor of D2. D2 doesn't have a super long uh, bioavailability half-life, but if you're consuming them with you know most meals or every other day, doesn't matter. You get a high enough dose, and it appears to get them uh, through the winter, or they could even run around outside buck naked and not get enough UV light. Yeah, it's cool. That, uh, in fact, listeners, we haven't forgotten about our fungal episode, if you will. Uh, we still yeah. have some people lined up, and we're going to look at yeah, because mushrooms can supply unusual nutrients, you know, vitamin D and chromium and things like that, that could be interesting to lifters, right? So, Yeah, definitely. Uh, one last little tidbit, follow up on that one, actually, because it's thematic. Does vitamin D make you happy? And I think a lot of our listeners are familiar with this, but this is from uh, Catherine Sullivan from, let's see, labroots.com. It says, though vitamin D was traditionally thought to be bone-building vitamin, Uh, New research shows its capacities extend much farther in our physiology and that every cell in the body has vitamin D receptors. Um, Because of that, of course, you can get gene activation, uh, regulate neurotransmitters, right, that directly affect your brain growth and development. Uh, It says a lack of vitamin D is correlated with low mood and with depression and things like uh, IBS, right, Um, so irritable bowel. And then they offer a video, and I'll... um, I'll see if I can't link this video on our Facebook uh, listeners page so they can look more about the consequences of low D and talking to your doctor about vitamin D supplements. So I think this is not any breaking news per se, like some new you know uh, publication per se, but they are reminding everybody. And as we head into the fall months, listeners, you know it's the kind of thing you might want to think about that vitamin D. It's I very much tuned into what they said about how we should just call it the bone vitamin. Literally, I would say that in the classes, you know, like in the 90s and stuff. And uh, so much more, right? It's an over-the-counter hormone. And the whole idea that they're they're mentioning vitamin D receptors, to me, that really emphasizes that it's a hormone. You know, that's how hormones work. So um, interesting stuff um, on vitamin D and um, mood, mental health, not just physical. Okay, that's all I've got. Awesome. And we have our special guest here today, Jeff. And you want to give us just a background on, you know, what you're doing right now and how you got to where you're at. And then after the break, we'll get into the topic of the day, which is kind of training for the unknown. And you have periods in your life where your stress is pretty high. Are there different tactics for exercise and nutrition you can do during those time periods? Yeah, okay. Well, guys, let me start off. Thanks for having me. I love listening to your show. I always learn something. This whole time I've been taking notes, figuring things out here while you guys are talking today. (laughs) Uh, It's really great stuff. Okay, so I'm a recently retired Tier 1 sniper, uh, combat veteran. I was with a unit called Joint Task Force 2, or more kind of colloquially known as JTF2. Are you guys familiar with this unit? Um, that's in the U.S., is that correct? Or No, this one's in Canada. Canada. So, yeah, because I know they have different names up there, so that's why I was asking for listeners. Yeah, so for the American audience, uh, Joint Task Force 2 would be similar to your uh, SEAL Team 6 or Dev gotcha. Group yeah. or Delta Force. Um, 
those are your tier one units, uh, and JTF2 is our uh, tier one unit. And uh, like I mentioned, June, I retired, and uh, currently we hold the world record for the uh, longest kill shot in history. Wow. wow. How long was it? I'm sure everyone asked that next. <laughs> yeah, uh, 3.5 kilometers, and I it's about, I think, 2.4 miles, oh, something really? like that. Wow. Oh, that's a long one. Yeah, in, uh, in Iraq. Um, we were pretty proud of that one. There's so much science that goes behind doing something like that. I mean, you're literally calculating the rotation of the... Uh, the planet and you got multiple wind directions uh so there's a lot that goes behind it crazy wow how did you get into that like what was the i mean growing up is that something you kind of always wanted to do then or how did you end up doing that well it certainly goes back to childhood when it comes to psychology right uh and i grew up in a in northern ontario the wilderness i was always outside and i had free reign i was uh a hard to control child to say the least <laughs> so my parents figured okay well we can't vector them where we want to go let's give them the uh the boundaries the kind of constrictionless boundaries to develop himself and, and that worked pretty good for childhood once you move into your adolescence and teenage years um it gets to be a little troublesome you know running with the law and that kind of stuff i was never a bad dude i always had good morals and ethics i just I was always pushing boundaries on everything. Everything I did, any extreme sport, any anything I chose to pursue, I'd go right to the boundary. You know what I mean? As far as I could. And uh, sometimes that didn't lead to good things, but I learned a ton. And that kind of it's interesting because I ended up in the military. I mean, there's nowhere with more rules and boundaries and constrictions. You know what I mean? Uh, but the uh, 9/11 had happened. And I wanted to do my part, so I signed up, uh, and I was in the regular army for maybe seven years or so, deployed to Afghanistan, uh, really felt like we got to make a good difference there. But what started happening is this interest in human optimization, human selection, all the psychology that goes behind it, but not just the mental aspect, also, you know, picking guys based on how their muscles made up uh you know how their nervous system works or doesn't work you know depending on uh, caloric intake or sleep you know stuff you guys are all very familiar with and then uh, i ended up uh in joint task force two went through extremely rigorous selection there and that's when it just the light went on and i just started pursuing and researching it and doing my own version of research and studies on the guys because when you're there, you have this access. Everybody wants to kind of like try out their methods and tools and skills on the SF. Uh, so you end up full access, full access to the best scientists, uh, the best anyone in uh, physical fitness or psychology, you know, sports psychologists uh, and all different uh, donations. So I took advantage of that, and I, I really picked their brains a lot, and, and I, uh, I started implementing it on our guys. Uh, we all do this, by the way, um, in order to stay ahead of the curve, right? Our, our opponent is unknown, so it's very hard to stay ahead of the unknown, um, but you try your best, and everyone takes their own approach to it. Anyways, kind of went through that, went through that, and then... Uh, I finally, I met uh, my future wife, Jess, 
and she didn't want me to be in the military anymore. She didn't want me to be away. Uh, she supports the military. Her grandfather actually was a member of uh, the OSS, which is oh, a wow. precursor to the Navy SEALs. Yeah. Uh, so, she, and her father's a Vietnam vet. So she, she understands it very well. But, you know, we were in love and she didn't want me to be gone for nine months of the year. And I totally got it. So I had put all my purpose, you know, what I was into this unit at the time. And then I was forced to redefine that at 35. Okay, change my purpose. You know what I mean? Like like th- th- that purpose that gives you real value in your heart. You know what I mean? And we started bouncing ideas around and the first one that came out was from her of course she's always ahead of the curve <laughs> she's like why don't you start a man camp and, and that's how, that's like verbatim and, and i and i literally started laughing because like in my head i just came from this one world and then i had this vision of like tenting and axe throwing and nothing wrong with it you know what i mean it, it just felt like oh no that's that's not where that's not where it lies for me you know what i mean and we started uh, evolving that statement, and what we did is we kind of hit the streets, as you will, and we started talking to men and women about, okay, what's what's the holes that men are having uh, in this modern world? You know what I mean? We have all this all this kind of ancient programming, if you will, uh, designed for fight or flight, um, you know, to be the protector. Uh, all these tools, you know what I mean? Like guys will put that energy into lifting, um, whatever it is, like that, that that's their purpose, you know, but not everybody's getting it. Not every, there's some people seem to have a little hole. Um, on top of that, it's like, well, okay, what are women seeing from men that they would not, you know, not to change them, but just to, you know, little tweaks here and there psychologically, whatever it is. And we started kind of undirected data mining you know what i mean we didn't really know what the end goal was going to exactly be but we kind of figured well we'll uh we'll figure out what's missing for everybody and then we'll create it and yeah and then we ended up with the uh, process um yeah so that's kind of how i ended up here awesome and then one more question before we go to break is and this probably leads into the topic of the day too but do you think uh, men especially, and I guess this applies to women also, but are missing like a combination of physical and psychological challenges that maybe there's not enough, um, maybe like acute stressors in their life where I think we have a lot of kind of lower level chronic stressors, whether it's, you know, job or commute or things like that, but maybe we're missing those periods of time of trying to deal with a very high stressor, but yet in a successful manner? Yeah. So when it comes to stressors, we, we've we taken this theory of post-traumatic growth, which is, in my opinion, the big brother of post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD, as it's mm-hmm. mostly referred to. You know, now with positive psychology coming into the mix more and more, we're starting to see that those those stressors, if vectored properly on the other end, can be those moments of growth but to back it up a little bit more about your your the proper stress in your life like we're not talking about the kind of stress where you feel like you're swimming against molasses you know what i mean that Mm -hmm. like i'm going against the grain here every fiber of my being is headed in the wrong direction we're talking about 
you know, self-constructed kind of stressors where on the other side, you've leveled up. You know what I mean? You've you've learned to deal with the fear better. And when I say fear, I do mean like all the hormonal responses and everything that happens in the body with that. Um, you know, you you move your position in life a little more and not just psychological and physical. I think spiritual is a bit of a word that's kind of got a... I don't know if it's a bad rap with some men, but I think it's misunderstood and not used in the right way. So I do believe there's a little bit of that lacking in a man's life. It's tough. I mean, you go to work, you got your family, uh, you maybe have one hobby, you know, where do you put this stuff in? You know, there's only so much time in the day. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, We'll take a little break here and then we'll get into the topic of the day. Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, There is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, There's enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that, and uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Hey, it's Dr. Mike Janelson here, and our special guest today is Jeff, who's a legitimate Special Forces operator, which I know a lot of times you think, oh, I was in the Special Forces. It's like uh, a amount of guys I've met at bars who've told me that there'd be tons of Special Forces people, but there's not that many. Mm-hmm. And 
Today we're talking about how do you train for kind of the unknown. Um, obviously, with Jeff's extensive background, that's literally what he spent most of his life uh, preparing for. And sort of what lessons can we learn from that and translate that into kind of gym performance for people that are listening. Um, the first question I had, Jeff, is how, from the mental side, how do you kind of, what things do you have as sort of a, a checklist so you're kind of prepared for kind of the unknown where I think the advantage of training in the gym is you kind of know what you're preparing for, right? So Phil has lifters preparing for a meet. We know they're going to have to do a, a bench press, a squat, a deadlift. Um, but I think some other lifters are also kind of also training for just life and being prepared for the unknown. So kind of how do you wrap your head around that or things that you should have as a kind of a checklist to make sure that you're checking the box on each one? Okay, so... It's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'll, and I'll be honest, from the realm I come from, we don't do checklists. We live more by kind of principles. Okay. Uh, it's tough when, you know, let's just say equals C is the objective, but when you don't know what C is, it, it can be difficult. And I, and I, sure. I know that's not great. So what ends up happening is you kind of jack of all trades things. And from the physical fitness point of view, or sorry, pardon me, from the mental point of view, it can be tricky, but it goes back to, to the selection. So when guys are going through their selections, they're fine-tooth combed for their traits. And one of them is emotional stability, which would fall into that being able to prepare for the unknown. You know what I mean? Like I could relate it to a whole bunch of things like the big five and uh, stuff like that. But that that's the big one, you know what I mean? Being able to stay calm well before. Because, I, I, I mean, anxiety if you got a, an op coming up or anything, a, a meet, uh, if you're a lifter and it might be six months out, that drip of anxiety can really start to wear on you. So if you're able to handle it up front uh, better with the traits. So for the lifters, mental's tough. I think exposure is the key, though. Always putting yourself into stressful situations things that get that pang in your belly going you know what i mean like we all know what anxiety and stress feels like sometimes you need it to be a high jack of cortisol like skydiving or something and then sometimes it's got to be a little bit more of a low dose one uh, and i think for anything you want it to be you want to be like the whole man so for me i like to you know do public speaking stuff because i'm i to be honest i'm pretty introverted and I don't love it, you know what I mean? But it so it helps me get used to dealing with those stressors where jumping out of planes and being in gunfights doesn't bother me, you know what I mean? Because I was <laughs> inoculated to those things. But it doesn't mean that the 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 growth is over. I gotta keep doing it in different realms. Yeah. Um so I'd say part part of that's just the inoculate they call it like threat inoculation, right? So you're kind of slowly kind of ratcheting up whatever you as a person perceive as physical or mental or some type of stress, whether that's a, a meet or public speaking or things of that nature? Yeah, I would, I, I would say yes. Like there are some factors, um, when it comes to stress, uh, cortisol, as you guys know, some people are able to spike high and bring it back down. That's, that's a trait of the mm. operator. We don't spike and then hold. So, that helps us mitigate stress one. Another one's in the memory. 
Uh, the way our hippocampus stores memory in stressful states, we, we're not as vivid. It's not that we don't have good memories, but you're not remembering every micro detail of that stressful situation. So on the other side, you know, you, you, uh, it, it doesn't turn into, it turns into growth, not PTSD, but yes, exposure, exposure. You can go little, you can go a lot. Um, I'm, I, I don't know how you guys do it with your lifters, but I would imagine that if you have a big competition coming up, do you do small competitions to help set that nervous system and those hormones or when they're in the big one, they don't just spike and it degrades your performance? Um, Dude. Do you do that, Phil? Do you have any type of, I know you have your lifters do a lot of meets, but do you do any like simulation type days beforehand or how do you handle that with your lifters? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, we'll try and simulate it as best as we can. I mean, go visit another gym, lift there, you know, things like that. Get out of your, get out of your comfort zone. Um, and then if I have a lifter that just responds poorly to competition settings, then yeah, we're just gonna, we're going to do as many as we can. So, uh, until that's, that's not an issue anymore. So, yeah, exactly. The more you see the better set you are. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, I've only done a handful of actual meets and the first one I ever did, I was a freaking nervous wreck for like two months beforehand. And it was the weirdest thing. It's like, nobody cares what I lift. No one I know is even going to be at the meet. I'm only Mm -hmm. doing it because I want the, you know, to feel what it's like to compete. And I, I even mentally even knew what I was doing, but yet you yeah. still have that that kind of fear response where you can't kind of cognitively flex your way out of it, you know? <laughs> yeah, and you try to do things like, you know, goal-setting exercises and breathing yeah. and mindfulness and implementation intention, and th- there's no substitute for the real deal. That's yeah. when it comes down to it. Yeah. Uh, cool. And then is there stuff specifically you guys do on the nutrition side also in terms of preparedness? And I gave a talk once, um, and probably going back eight years ago to in the U.S. to DARPA, so Defense Advanced Resource Project Agency. And it was literally talking about metabolic flexibility. And instead of trying to make sure that everything they had was sort of quote unquote perfect and they had all their food and everything with them, especially for you know smaller groups of deployment, can you train them ahead of time so that they can handle more adversity? You know, so could you have them maybe control fast for periods of time? So if they had a fast for 24 hours, they've literally gone through a simulation of everything that they would expect to do and were able to actually do it. So they have both the kind of physical and mental side, um, which is kind of the inverse of what traditionally had uh, been done. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that or just nutrition in general. Well, nutrition's a tricky one because we have lots of guys who like to compete. They like to compete in CrossFit. They like to compete in lifting. Uh, they're just competitive dudes who sure. want to compete outside, right? So for those guys, uh, like we, we have world record holders and stuff, and they'll they'll do what they have to do nutritionally to get to where they have to go, but they sacrifice other things along the way. But in general... Uh, I mean, you could deploy, the balloon goes up and you're gone and now you're doing a recon and you, you're eating rations. And I don't know if you guys know much about rations, <laughs> but they, they have high calories, but they're, they're garbage. You know what I mean? You're basically putting poison in your body. So up front, what you do is through training, 
um, you know, every now and then, like you said about those, uh, um, like the fasts and things of that nature, you know, you, you make them unpredictable yeah. and you, you, you know, you take dinner away and then you take breakfast away and, you know, you're moving around a lot. Like you, you try to do that, uh, up front. Um, it's tough with food because the faster and the, the, the theater develops and the newer it is, the, the resources are way less to you. So, mm. I mean, you, you make the most you can, you know, you start hitting up the local markets and things like that. Cause most of the guys are fairly aware of nutrition. Like I said, we, we got pros in there all the time. Um, you know, coming in, okay. You know, keto's the way to go. No, paleo is the way to go. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and what you start to see for us is you're like, okay, well each one really has its place and it's, sometimes I'll need to be in a keto state and sometimes I can eat paleo, but sometimes I can't eat. I got to make sure I can metabolize these carbohydrates really good. You know what I mean? And then even if guys didn't know the science behind it, you come to that logical conclusion of, uh, you know, diversifying, having that Walmart day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me a buddy of mine was in uh, military police for many years and got deployed overseas and was in a Southeastern country and there was just him and, you know, five other people were there for, I think it was two or three weeks, basically kind of by themselves. And he didn't say what else was involved, but he said they got there early before what they had to do started. And he, they don't really have much, you know, support for food because they can only bring a limited amount. You know, so he's eating from, you know, street vendors and out of grocery stores and whatever he can find. And he said he was the only person who wasn't sick in the bathroom for like the first two and a half days. Because at home, he would eat, you know, he would go and travel and eat in different places and get a lot of exposure to other things. You know, intestinal-wise, he was just fine. But he said the other guys were just destroyed for just like two days. He said they were almost very hyper about their nutrition, the fact that they had to know exactly where it came from and almost overemphasize like the highest quality, most pristine things they could find. They put them in a different environment, and for a couple of days, they just completely kind of fell apart. <laughs> yeah, we do a bit of mitigating up front. Uh, if we're out the door quick, we can take injections to mm. kind of help our gut bacteria with that shock, sure. you know what I mean? Like the Bali Bellies and the Montezuma's Revenges and stuff like that. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. If you're used to eating like, uh, you know, massage chicken that's served on a gold yeah. plate <laughs> and you go and you're eating, you know, the equivalent of garbage, your body just doesn't react. It, it, you, your energy levels just drop. So yeah, that flexibility up front, I think really helps when it comes to nutrition. Do you have any thoughts on that, Lonnie, in terms of what lifters can do? I know we've talked about having more kind of a dirty bulk or having, you know, other, I hate the word clean, but you know, more high caloric, you know, grease wheels and things like that once in a while. Um, well, two things come to mind for me. One is high-dose fish oils, right? We know they have a long sure. washout, up to 20 weeks, and you can really saturate your tissues. And what's fascinating to me is that they can reduce the adrenal response to stress. Um, mm. So that'd be one thing, because you don't have to take them with you, right? If As long as you're right. doing them for several weeks before go time, you don't have to take them. They're already embedded in your tissues, and they're not going to wash out for a long time. That'd be one uh, the choice of dietary fat is just so fascinating to me, right? Um, and another might be something I just stumbled on this last week. We did a sleep deprivation uh, lab oh, with right. some of my advanced ex-phys students. Yeah, and we 
they um they were allowed only two hours of sleep for two consecutive nights and we're oh, trying geez. to literally jack up their sympathetic drive and we're measuring it with hrv you know and uh blood pressure glycemic responses it was it was fascinating but the one guy trained cyclist he's so fit i could not knock him out of homeostasis i mean that is really? a, that is a hell of a stressor right two hours wow. two nights in a row and he didn't even really do that but he's two two curious things one he's highly trained and if you look in the literature there is yeah. some indication that just gpp you know if you're just general training you have a good aerobic base you have a certain amount of muscle strength you are much more resilient to some of these symptoms of sleep dip um the other thing is he's habitually a poor sleeper so he only mm. sleeps five or six hours a night anyway and i think that has somehow prepared him so i'm not saying you know the fish oil thing is something uh, our listeners could proactively do if they knew they were heading into a high stress environment um, the fitness level is something that most of our listeners already have, I suppose, you know, and I think one of the interesting connections between these two is that when you are highly trained, your ratio of omega three to omega six fatty acids in your tissues is better just because of your training, even if you're not supplementing omega three. Hmm. So, you know, these things all seem to be related and there's sort of this underlying inflammatory mechanism. But yeah, those would be my thoughts, I guess. Yeah, and also like creatine. Creatine's got a pretty long washout too, not nearly as long as, as fish oil. You know, you could probably argue maybe beta alanine things like that, where you know you stop taking it and you're good for you know several weeks. To I mean, I think Roger Harris has shown some stuff for trying to load beta alanine. He was loading people on six grams, I think, a day, and he was at six months the last time I talked to him. And intramuscular carnosine levels were still going up. Um, oh, cool. So yeah, so some of that may be longer than what we think too so that might be useful yeah that's pretty interesting info like for us when you're rolling out and you have like uh, a really finite amount of space and stuff to take with you you know f some fish oil and creatine is really not all that much to pack to keep that going um, you know it's a good call we went up to Kettering medical center once when i was a doc student and we um it was one of the early early 90s stuff early creatine studies we loaded creatine we went back six weeks later we were in a MRS unit. So, listeners, it's like an MRI, yeah. but instead of taking a picture, uh, it's going to give you a spectrum of, you know, your phosphagen, so ATP and phosphocreatine. We were still almost fully loaded six weeks later. Hadn't touched mm. a gram of creatine, and um, there were some people who did drop off, and as it turned out with follow-up, they were vegans, so the uh, idea was that, yeah, the, the meat eaters amongst us were, get, were trickling in some maintenance dose of creatine maybe, you know, very low. But, uh, yeah, but yeah, at least that one suggested what you were saying, Mike, that you've got several weeks and your muscles are still well prepared with a, a creatine surplus. Yeah, especially um, with some of the newer data on creatine showing it may help with uh, concussions, uh, right. especially if you're on it beforehand. Um, I know there's some talk of, you know, military people, obviously, us, this to you, Jeff, do you, did you do anything to try to circumvent things on the neurologic side? Because I know some guys in the military who will use high amounts of creatine, you know, hoping to protect them against some, you know, concussive type injuries just from, you know, firing weapons of that nature. Yeah, so... When it comes to concussive stuff, some things I think are just too big <laughs> to prevent the concussion. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It doesn't matter how much you're loaded on anything. The old brain feels it. After, that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, when the bombs are going off. Uh, 
Yeah, up front, I wouldn't say that uh, guys are loading on, say, a creatine because once you're in it, you know, you've deployed, It's it can be tricky to maintain those things. Sure. Um, as a as a buffer up front, sure, yeah, it works good. Um, but no, I, I I wouldn't say that there really is that in place right now. Yeah. And Phil, do you guys do anything different with your lifters in terms of nutrition to kind of prepare them to handle a wide variety of foods? I mean, I've been at your gym and seen lots of you know donuts <laughs> around on a Sunday and stuff. <laughs> uh, no, it's a very individual thing. So, I mean, it depends on where they're going. Like, I've got wrestling seasons about to start, so i got a bunch of wrestlers that I work with. And So, right now, they're all going down and this and that. And So, I mean, it depends on the athlete and what they're what they're aiming to do. Like, for me, I'm eating my way up 30 pounds, so it's like I'm on the seafood diet. And uh, uh, Just, like, eat, like, an a-hole time? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> so, it just depends on the athlete and what we're trying to accomplish at that point in time. I mean, so, yeah. Yeah. So what would be some of the lessons you've learned, Jeff, from your experience that the average, you know, listener, lifter who's listening to this could kind of implement in their life, like things that you've kind of learned based on your experiences, because obviously they're not going to probably have those experiences, but some lessons you've learned that they could apply in their training that would help them with their results. Well, you say training, I'm going to assume you're talking about your specific listeners like barbell yeah. guys and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, like barbell training, yeah. I think you have to start at the base level. You know, you think Maslow's hierarchy, you got that uh, physiological level. And I think good training is the best thing you can do up front. Because when those stressful situations hit, those uh, those periods, uh, as uh, Lonnie was saying about the cyclist who's able to maintain and not even drop from homeostasis, you know what I mean? Because his muscles are ready to go up front. Uh, I think the best bang for your buck is barbell exercises. That's my opinion. And most guys have gravitated towards that. Mm. You know, there's dabbling in everything. um, But like a linear style strength training, bang for your buck, in my opinion, and a lot of people's is the best way to go. Um, It just works the most of your body with big compound movements. Um, if you only got a few weeks to be doing anything, might as well be doing that. You know what I mean? Gets the heart rate up, does everything you need it to do for those high stressful situations. Very cool. Do you kind of alternate in more high intensity work? I mean, obviously you guys are moving a lot and doing, I would say low to moderate intensity kind of aerobic work a lot of times and doing rucks and things like that. Do you find that that would also be useful for lifters to maybe implement on more of an off day so once they've got like their big barbell lifts in say three to four days a week to add some other type of more aerobic conditioning in yeah so if their end game is to be the best i i don't know if that's really the way to go for me personally i like a good relaxing recovery day okay Um, what does that kind of look like for you uh, like that looks kind of relaxing. I have a feeling it's probably not what I would consider. relaxing. <laughs> yeah. Well, so relaxing to me is doing things that, um, I want to be doing, but that are also, you know, involve physical fitness in some way, whether it's rock climbing, biking, hiking, I'll even do a bit of running in there. So I, I, I guess in a way, yeah. Uh, but not for where I would say I'm pushing 
my cardio level up or my running endurance up. I would save that more for a really a, a training day. Um, but gotcha. some more uh, recreational type stuff. Get some movement in, have some fun. Don't make it so utterly demanding. Probably more just loosely tracked. You're not, you know, measuring your heart rate on every single run and the exact speed and pace and everything else. Yeah, exactly. I I started using the, the HRV a while back, and then I ended up having to put it away because it kept telling me not to do anything. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I but I like to get out. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. Got it. And and Lonnie, do you know the guy who was the the cyclist? Was he pretty high VO two max? I'm assuming, correct? Yeah, yeah, he's well trained. Yeah, I don't yeah. know the number, but I'm guessing yeah. upper sixties. You know. Yeah, yeah, so he's pretty up there. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be interested if he has like maybe like the deck two gene, which I think that's the gene where people seem to be allowed to sleep a lot less and kind of get by with it. I think the occurrence of that's like less than 0.5% or something like that. It's incredibly low. They'll hit a wall eventually. You know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah. So like, yeah. No magic formula there. Like we've tried things like blood doping and things like that. And eventually the body's going to do what the body's supposed to do and let you know. You know what I mean? Yeah. What do you, um, I'm just going to wrap up here. Are there other, things in terms of recovery that lifters should be looking at? Because obviously you guys have, you know, periods of, you know, pretty high stress, obviously you do a ton of training. Is there any things that you guys have found? Because the guys that I know in Canada, a good buddy of mine, I've done some work with him there, and they've looked at pretty much everything in terms of recovery that I can think of. I'm just curious if you found anything that's been super useful that, Maybe some of our lifters could use to do on a, an off day or recovery day. For me, kind of getting out of the zone completely, I find the next time I go back to anything, uh, I always do it a little bit better. Mm. Uh, like whatever it is. So like, let's just say I'm training hard. I got my nutrition's all lined up. Everything's lined up. I'm on my programs. Just kind of stepping away from it to really relax mentally and physically the next time I approach anything, whether like it doesn't matter what it is, I always feel it's a little bit better each time. Hmm. So it would be an example of that. I assume you're kind of changing your environment quite a bit from what it typically is then. Uh, when you're saying changing your environment, what oh, you say? like recovery, are you going for a walk or something in the woods? Or are you kind of trying to change where you're at? You're not kind of hanging out where you're typically uh, training. You're trying to change the environment as much and around you then yeah exactly like and, and it can even be you know people you're in your routine and then you know later in the day you're on the couch and you're watching tv and you, you think of that as relaxing i think something that's outside of that norm you know what i mean that you that isn't in your consistent life you know what i mean especially in in the training phases i find that works really good what are some ones you found that work for you like specific ones uh well i like to do things with my wife I always find that really helps level up my head. Uh, anything actually with relationships because in our day-to-day, -day, you know, we get up, we go to work, we do our training. I don't know if guys are training in the morning or probably training in the morning and the night. Um, you know, we got our food routines. Everything is routine, routine, routine. Uh, sometimes our relationships kind of suffer a little bit and it's a good time to work on it. And it's something that's usually different from the routine 
and the other person's dynamic can give it a little switch. Uh, I, I, I'll be honest. I just usually go by it intuitively. I, it kind of just happens and I end up doing X because it just feels kind of right to get me out of that spot. No, you know, it's good advice because I have a feeling there's a lot of lifters. They're so zealous that they spend their off day watching YouTube lifting videos mm-hmm. and stuff like that, yeah. right? Instead of <laughs> yep. just, yeah, picking a hobby or disengaging entirely in some way, you know. Yeah. So I, I would feel that I'm watching that YouTube video on lifting, and, and I have, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I'm not competitive, but I, I love it. I love the 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 science behind it and your your body your your mind is probably actually firing some of those things you know what i mean in your mm-hmm. body even when you're supposed to be sitting there relaxing um so you're not really stepping away at that time you know right yeah yeah i mean that's for me why i like kiteboarding because it's a different experience you're out in nature uh it is you know obviously somewhat physical but it's also one of those things where you still have to concentrate enough because if you don't something really bad happens but once you get better, it's not like it's taking all of your concentration either. You can kind of get in that sort of zone a lot, a lot easier too. And it's different than you know something that would normally be different environment. You're on water, things of that nature too. So for me, I find that's actually very good for recovery, both physically and mental. Yeah, so different. Yeah, yeah, and it probably gets you into a, a flow state. Um, totally. And, yeah. And if you're in that state, then you're not worried about whatever else is going on. No, no. And you know, like you're saying, even with skydiving and stuff like that, if you're you know, doing those things, there's kind of pushing the envelope. So if I'm trying to, you know, jump in the air 20 feet, I'm probably not thinking about, oh, I forgot to buy the milk or, oh, the weight <laughs> protein as I'm, you know, hanging out in the air, you know? Yeah. It's great yeah. advice about the flow state. I mean, I tend yeah. to, uh, I paint and man, I'll look at the clock and like five hours have passed and I have been nothing yeah. but painting. You know what I mean? So you just kind of get into that kind of situation that's so different, you know, and it's it's sort of it becomes your entire reality and it's enjoyable. And I, I like that that concept of flow state. Yeah. Uh, Eli, that's a great example because dudes don't usually step into the creative realm that much. Uh, and that's a perfect place to find that. Yeah. Thank you. You do that, Phil. Obviously, you did a lot of art. I mean, you have a master's in, in art, if I remember correctly. And do you find that? Doing those types of things are relaxing for you, or is it just yeah. harder to find time now? You got nothing harder, else going it's on. It's harder to I mean. find time now, but uh, <laughs> I'm definitely working in the creative realm a lot too. But I mean, I, I just agree 100%. I mean, most of the people I know that are exceptional at what they do, be it athletics or, you know, let's say special forces, they, they are more than that. It's the people that are, the people that I see that are trying to live that all the time are usually mediocre. Yeah, and the ones that are exceptional are they disconnect from that. <laughs> That's not all they are. You know, it's like, okay, it's game time, it's train time, and now it's off time, and they're they're separate. They disconnect from that. They don't. They're not walking around like I'm a power lifter. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's the people walking around doing that, or the people walking around like we talked about before the show. The guys walking around telling you they're special forces all the time probably weren't. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and the ones walking around telling you how. Um, uh, Amazing they are as, as the athletics usually probably aren't. So they disconnect. You have that. You have to have that off time because your your on time is so intense. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah you're putting every fiber of your being into it. You yeah, know? yeah. And like I know, like I'm going to go in today and I'm going to squat 700 pounds. 
and I've known that all week, but I don't sit there and think about it and worry about it. <laughs> you know, I'm prepared for it. But you see a lot of people at a lower level, they stress. You know, they're stressing about next Saturday's training last Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> you can't do that. Yeah, you got to disconnect and just roll, you know. <laughs> so. Yeah. I remember, like, one of the first times I ever went to a gym, like, this is a long time ago, with, I would say, really strong people. I was shocked and kind of horrified at the time that they were drinking beer on a Friday night doing deadlifts. Yeah. It wasn't like they were getting drunk. They had, you know, like one beer the whole session, and it was just fun for them. Like, this was their fun night to just go hang out before they went home and chilled out with their families. Yeah. These guys are pulling, like, 600. Like, it's no big deal. And I'm sitting there going, oh, wow, I think my max deadlift's 275. And I've been so <laughs> hyper-worried about what protein to consume. Yeah. And these, like, sides of beef with eyes are, like, drinking beer and, like, pulling 600 like it's nothing. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, maybe I'm doing this wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the beer diet. Yeah. 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 Uh, so. Cool. Well, where can listeners uh, find out more about you, Jeff? Thank you very much for your time. We appreciate it. Uh, no, it was a pleasure, guys. I uh, love listening to your show. Uh, yeah, you can find us at the specialforcesexperience.com. Um, and uh, really, all the info you need is there. Uh, I will warn you. It is the ultimate challenge, though. And when is the first one starting up? Is it next year? Yeah, so May 10th is the eight-day portion. The way it works, if you sign up, you kind of already go to work. And, you know, we'll give you uh, pro-level physical training, physical fitness training uh, schedules and some nutrition. Uh, We start to, well, really, right from the get-go. As soon as you hit the apply button, we start asking you questions and we start developing your psychological profile. Um, Obviously, you can't just ask one question and then boom, okay, I know who this guy is. But over a timeline, uh, we start to build that. And then once the eight-day portion of it begins, which is really the challenge portion of it, uh, we just go to work. Every single moment of the day, you are being scrutinized. You're put into team scenarios, individual scenarios. Uh, We test all your phobias and we just start building up this big package on uh, each of the individuals. And then once we're done, we kind of hand it over to them with some advice on how to move forward. We have counselors and things of that nature because this is a stressful event um, for them to kind of go to work on themselves. Most of it is I need to undo some past stuff. Mm. Uh, You know, we all kind of pick up. Well, I can say I'm guilty of it. Sometimes I pick up the, you know, self-help book and (laughs) I just kind of implement it, but I never go back and say, okay, well, what was actually broken, you know, from childhood and on and on Mm. and on, you know, we all have these little wounds. So we we try to build that picture. We try to send them back and, uh, yeah, help them level up. Like this is for high achieving men. So this is for the guy who's like accomplished quite a bit. And now he's at that point in his life where he's like, okay, well, how do I move up again? You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm self-actualized, you know, I'm a success. Like, okay, what do we do now? And, uh, so we, we built this one for him. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you again for your time. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks guys. Hey, listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls 
in the store, one for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, in their thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good. Uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind. Things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.